Hello and welcome to another episode of Permission to Grow. This is a podcast where we explore women's career stories and transitions. We talk about how we can eliminate this idea of who we should be and instead give ourselves permission to grow. Today's guest is Heather, and Heather is the CEO of Bogo Brush, which is a company that she co-founded with her brother. And it is a team of people who are part of this company and this brand because they want to do something that matters. Um, and in this episode, we kind of dive into that and we talk about Heather's early education and her path through law school. And the thing that I love the most is kind of how she navigated the after law school part. She talked to, you know, faculty members, she talked to mentors, and she kind of gave herself the space to start exploring things that really made her curious. And so right out of school, she worked on venture financing. She was working in nonprofit lobbying, and she even started a think tank called Share Project. And one thing I really love about this episode is I really, really appreciate Heather's language around remaining curious. And she talks about how her curiosities have continued to develop and how she allows herself to keep moving forward towards those things she enjoys. And the nice thing is, is she says, like, if you're leaning towards something, you're going towards something and you're no longer curious about it, like give yourself the space to walk away. Right. And so her approach to finding the things and the type of work she enjoys and what she's looking for in creating in her future kind of workspace, it's all a process that I find very intriguing. And she, I mean, we dive into the process of building a business, securing funding for your business and how she is like really growing this conversation around sustainability and the growth of not only her brand, but also the community. And it's, it's just an exciting episode. Heather is an amazing human and I hope you guys all enjoy the episode. So here it is. Hi, Heather. Thank you for being here. Yeah. Hey, thanks for uh, including me. I'm so excited. I, we met almost a year ago at the Yellow Conference here in LA, and we've talked about Yellow a few times here in this podcast because it's such a group of inspiring and intelligent and talented women. And you were one of the women who we were just talking about before we started recording. I was like getting my coffee and like walking with my head down because I didn't want to actually engage with anyone. And Heather was there and was just like, hi, how are you? <laughs> and they engaged me in such a genuine way that I left our conversation being like, that is one of the most confident like self-aware humans I've ever met in my life like you just your energy is like infectious and so naturally when I left I was like I have to go creep on this girl and find out like what <laughs> her story is and like what she's doing and turns out what she's doing is building an amazing business um, with her brother called Bogo Brush and she has tons of other awesome things that are coming up as well but I wanted to just kind of start before we get to all of that I wanted to start at the beginning and like chat through this career path because it's not one that maybe follows a straight line that we think some of our careers do but for you like when you were growing up what did you want to be um great question I've thought of that and I kind of have like three phases I guess so I think when I was really young you know playing with dolls of various sizes and forms <laughs> like Barbie to whatever baby doll yeah um I loved designing clothes. Like I would go into my mom's like, fabric bin, right? Cause my mom made a lot of like my brother and my clothes when we were little and things like that. So I'd go into like the fabric <clears throat> bin and just like start cutting fabric and 
sewing it together. I, apparently my mom trusted me when I was like six to like have a needle or she didn't know one or the other. <laughs> but um, so, so making doll clothes or like drawing clothes, I was just really fascinated by this idea. But I think I didn't really realize that that was a job. Like that was a thing that could be, I don't even think I realized that jobs existed. You know what I mean? Like too young for that realization. Um, but then, I mean, I really remember like playing school when I was a little bit older and thinking about, oh, teaching is a job, right? Yeah, we have teachers, I had teachers, <laughs> um, that, and then kind of still young. So this is like all elementary school. The first job I remember being like, oh, I'm going to be this was, and for some reason this is the way I put it, was I'm going to be the first woman president. And I don't know why I thought I was going to be the first. I don't know why I thought I was going to be a president. But in any case, that was like something that was in my mind as a girl. <laughs> oh my, those are all, um, I mean, and the interesting thing is I ask that because I always like to see how people's early ideas of what they'll be like is intertwined into the work they're doing now. And like, you're a yoga teacher. You are a leader of a company. So like all of those things kind of manifested themselves in very, different titles but kind of the same bit and you're completely like in design space with your company the design yeah. is very like minimally is that what is that how do you say that minimal yeah, minimalist yes minimal aesthetic yeah yes yeah so it's all it's all like part of the bubble you're in now but like there was a there was a middle point between that those young ideas and where you're at now and one of them was law and I went to law school and studied. And so when I saw that, I was like, yes, another human who like had the law passion, but made it into something else. But that's not an easy bit. So like, when did you decide that you wanted to go to law school? I, the first time that it kind of dropped in my mind was when I was a senior in high school. Um, there was a, so I, I really love music, music. I'm a musician and for I guess it probably was my 17th birthday. My parents got me like a VIP dinner ticket to, um, I don't know, maybe she was just famous in the Midwest. Her name was Lori Line, and she was like this pianist who played kind of like new agey, but modern kind of piano music. And she was coming to town. And so they got me a ticket to sit at her table for dinner. And she started talking to me about what I was interested in. And I was talking about music and writing music. Cause I was writing some piano music at that time. And she said, she's like, well, maybe you should consider going into law school because there are a lot of musicians who need help with um, like music law, whether it's like representing them or doing their IP, right. Their intellectual property rights. And I was like, huh. And so that was the first time it kind of came into my mind. And then through undergrad, I was interested in a lot of different things, but kind of came into this idea of, uh, I guess, social justice, whether it's on issues of you know, kind of like sexual crimes or, um, I don't know, just, I guess that was like particularly where I was seeing um, injustice happening on like in a college campus setting um but yeah so I guess it was kind of like those kinds of things I was curious about marketing I was curious about some creative avenues um 
yeah, I guess I don't really know where to go from there. There was a kind of a variety of things that fed into my decision. So, yeah, yeah well, and I mean, I mean, the biggest thing is, is that I mean, you decided to go, well, and it also talks to the effect of like how, what a strong impact those around us have in terms of our decisions, because that was likely a field you didn't, it didn't cross your mind that that existed in the way that it would also relate to your music, your love of music. And so it's just, that is a huge thing that, which is why it's also important to have mentors down the road, which I want to ask about. But like when you got to law school, was there, when you were in it, was there this feeling of like, this is a good fit for me right now? No. Okay. <laughs> I was always an outsider in law school. I mean, I've kind of been, you know, walked to the beat of my own drum in general, but particularly in law school, you know, I like to wear bright colors and kind of just um, smile a lot. <laughs> and if you remember law school, like it's not a smiley place and it's not a very colorful place. And, um, so yeah, I was always like a little bit in my own space with that. So I definitely felt like an outsider, but I, and I felt like I was thinking differently than a lot of people, but it did teach me to, to think differently, to help pull thoughts together. And as I went through law school, I started to understand like how my passion for the world related through law. And so over time, I started to gain an appreciation and an understanding of kind of like why I was there. And that's what I loved is like your experiences when I was looking at them, like your extern internship experiences, like you did stuff in like studying and researching like criminal sexual conduct, which was like, I think then used for lobbying stuff, but you're also exploring venture capitalists and looking like how businesses were built. Like were those intentional like pieces of a puzzle you were trying to put together or was it just like it just happened. I, it was following curiosities, more or less. Um, you know, I went into law school, like I said, kind of fueled from college and just observing um, like sexual assault type issues. And so went to college and it just so happened that the president of the law school I went to was really involved in um, like sexual crime reporting and advocacy for victims and all these things. So I, because that's what I was kind of curious about at the time I met with him and he connected me to that group that was doing the research and then the lobbying. And I learned that to create change through a kind of a government system was not the way that I really wanted to participate in change. It was just a little bit too reactionary and too, for me and my experience with it, slow. <laughs> And then I don't remember exactly all of the connections, but for some reason I started thinking about like entrepreneurship, I suppose, because I come from a family of entrepreneurs, more or less, right? My dad started his own dental practice. I have uncles who started, you know, a veterinary clinic or a jewelry store or different things like that. So it's like, well, what's this way of creating change? So did I like, kind of piece it together yes but more so like learning as I was going and trying to understand what are the ways that change happens oh I like that and I like that you like labeled it as following your curiosities I feel like that puts less pressure on it because you're not like trying to map out a golden plan you're just like 
this is what I'm interested in today. And that's not a common like denominator of us in law school. There's very much like laid out paths. And exactly. Like, did you feel pressure to, when you graduated, was there pressure to take a firm job or go the government route or anything like that? Or were you just kind of keeping it open? I think the pressure was, I always described it as a conveyor belt. Um, and I, yeah, I mean, I shouldn't like qualify it because for some people that like system is like makes them feel really happy and they're super successful on it. So it's, it's not, it's, it's more of just a statement of how I felt in that system. And yeah, you know, going through the summer associate interviews and like all of that whole thing and just you have to wear a black suit and all of this stuff was just like, really? Like, I have to do that? I don't understand this. And so, yeah, I think the system kind of wanted me or I felt like the system was pushing me in one direction. But fortunately, there were some professors who kind of saw that I wasn't necessarily fit for that kind of a path and probably wouldn't have been super happy in those environments um so they helped me like continue exploring and like asking questions i don't want to say they pointed me in the direction that i'm at but they at least helped me know that it's okay to look elsewhere that's invaluable i mean because it's, I mean, oftentimes, ideally, someone would be able to say like, hey, I see you, I see your skills, and you would be great at this job. But the reality is, is like, th that's a difficult task for anyone. So if you can at least take information from people and use it to like inform your next steps, that's like the ideal. And what what was the next step when you got out of school? Like, where did, where did it happen? What did you do? The immediate step after law school was I got married <laughs> that summer. And I, that summer I took the bar in Oregon. So I went to law school in Minnesota, took the bar in Oregon. My husband and I were like super curious about getting out of Minnesota, but that was also the time when the economy crashed and my husband had a job and we're like, let's just kind of stay put and do that. So it's <laughs> immediately after law school was a lot of soul searching because I was licensed to practice law in a different state um wasn't really wanting to practice law I was trying to figure out how do I make an impact how do I find my voice at this point in time so I did some writing like I did a couple like op-eds I read a whole bunch and I talked with my brother a lot which eventually kind of led into this like think tank idea that kind of kicked off a lot of where I am today I know, and that think tank, that was one thing I was, it was the SHARE project, which you launched in 2010. Like, I don't, I think six years ago, God, it wasn't six years ago, eight years ago, that think tank wouldn't have even been in my vocabulary as like something I could do. Like, how did you know how to create that? And that, how did you know that that was what you were looking for? At that time, my brother and I had been talking a lot about sustainability. So while I was in law school, that was one of the things I started getting really passionate about. I read The Omnivore's Dilemma, and it cued me off to how all these things are all connected. Um, and then I think I read Thomas Friedman, Hot, Flat, and Crowded. And like those two books together kind of, yeah, kicked me off onto understanding the way 
like the world was connected differently. And my brother was in car design school at the time, and he was understanding sustainability from all of the perspectives he was seeing and exploring as a designer. So our conversations were just really focusing on this idea of how do things become sustainable? How do things become balanced? And for us, that meant making decisions, considering a lot of different perspectives and, you know, weaving things together. I, that, that was when we were having this conversation, like when John and I were talking about sustainability a lot and weaving together perspectives, that's when I was uh, externing at the venture capital attorney's office and understanding entrepreneurship and things like that. So it kind of all just merged and swirled around and we thought, well, what if we could try to start I don't know, a company or a nonprofit or a cause, but in doing so, we gather people from all these different walks of life and see how together we might problem solve. And so, and from that came Bogo Brush. Like, was there, was it a very seamless transition after you guys were talking about it? Like, did it, was it a light bulb moment or was it like ups and downs of like, what are we going to do? Yeah, I mean, some ups and downs. Share Project, the group of people started as a discussion of what are the kinds of decisions we make in, in our worlds, right? We, or how, how do we influence the world? Well, products. So we talked about a product. We chose a toothbrush to talk about. We talked about uh, storytelling and how would we make storytelling more of a sustainable, well-rounded effort. We talked about collaborative versus combative problem solving. At that time, there had been like the big oil spill, like the BP oil spill in the Gulf of Mexico. And so we talked about that, like how can we use something as opposed to litigation to try to drive the solution and like the cost and the cleanup. So we talked about a variety of things, just basically trying to explore this idea of I mean, I'll use a buzzword, but like holistic decision-making, right. um, well-rounded decision-making. And we kind of talked through those things and it's like, well, now we need to do something. Like we can't just keep talking. There's plenty of people talking about good things. Let's do something. So then we formed the company that created Bogo Brush and that company is called Do, as in do stuff, like the action oriented. So Do um, was formed, and then we started working on the toothbrush. We thought of all the things we talked about in Share Project, that seemed like the most accessible thing to our skills, to like my brother and my skills. So that's how Bobo Brush kind of came about. And like when you started it, was there fear, or were you just so energized by thinking like of the possibilities of what this thing could be? Like starting a business is no easy feat. Even with like a legal background, there's so many more facets to a building, like building a business. How did you even get started? Like, did you just go ahead and like file an LLC or like? <laughs> yeah. I mean, we basically just started with what we know. Yeah. So yeah, for me was, okay. Um, you know, I talked to a few people on, we, you know, should we be for profit? Should we be nonprofit? Should we be an LLC? Should we be a corporation? Like, how do right. we do that? But yeah, just, filed the paperwork once we kind of made those decisions. John's process was starting to design. Um, we would meet and just kind of step by step, just answering the whatever question came next. 
we had the design, we had the 3D model, we had a company, we had all these things. It's like, okay, now what do we need to do? Uh, we need to figure out how to make a toothbrush. So hello, Google, toothbrush manufacturer, you know, and we didn't know what the heck kind of tooling we were looking for or anything like that. So it's just answering question by question by question. And, and yeah, there was definitely times where it's like scary and it's, it's like the, the benefit of being naive. Yes. I've, the last two women I've talked to have both brought that up and they're like, had I known what I know now, I probably wouldn't have taken this risk because I would have been terrified because it's <laughs> like ignorance is complete bliss, but it also pushes us to do stuff that pushes us outside of our comfort zone. And like one of the things I saw you did this Ted talk, I think probably a year or so after you started Bogo brush and it was talking about struggle in our lives. And you were talking about how we all go through it, but the important thing is to really embrace it because like living part of living is struggling. And so I just wondered kind of that was around a similar time. Was that struggle related to the growth of the business or was it, like, where did that come from for you? Uh, yeah. So that, that Ted talk and like talking about struggle mm -hmm. was born from yes, Bogo brush. And also because at that time I'd moved to Abu Dhabi with my husband. So there oh. were kind of like a few things going on and with Bogo brush, the struggle was, you know, at first we were trying to make this brush out of bamboo and we were working with overseas manufacturers and pilot runs were going fine enough when we ramped up to produce our first 10,000, something changed with the production process. And once we got them stateside to start bristling them, we lost probably 60% of them. The heads just started shattering and all this sort of a thing. So we pretty much had to find a whole new way to make toothbrushes. <laughs> and um, so there was that struggle. Right. Simultaneously, my husband got this opportunity to work for the sovereign wealth fund in Abu Dhabi. And I was like, all right, you know, we let's, let's go see what that's all about. Sure. And being there and watching people from you know all over the world, but working in different conditions, particularly folks from like Southeast Asia who were working in 120 degree heat gardening. It was, I mean, I remember I was sitting in the hotel where we were living at the time and I was preparing for the Ted talk and I was seeing their struggle and, you know, really understanding like what, you know, what am I compared to their struggle and drawing comparisons across the different kinds of struggles we all face. But, you know, it's my responsibility to struggle and move forward. Just like that's what they're doing. They're struggling and moving forward for the benefit of whatever their vision is. Um, so kind of like a merger of those things. How do, I, how do I give this talk and relate it to my experience as an entrepreneur and relate it to life as beyond entrepreneurship? And yeah, struggle, right? Friction, heat, growth, all of that stuff is necessary for transformation. Um, so that's kind of where the idea of like struggle came through. I loved it because I think, I think you framed it in a way that it's a positive, like it's going to be happening. So we might as well do something with it and like yeah. move forward. Otherwise it's going to eat us alive. So yeah, exactly. We're humans. We're evolved to struggle, right? The survival of the fittest or the struggle to survive is what 
makes evolution happen. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. So that's, I had, I had to ask, so I was like, I was just so intrigued. And now I didn't even know you were in Abu Dhabi. Is that what you said? Yeah. How, did, when did you come back to the States? I came back to the U.S. at the very end of 2016. I'd lived in Abu Dhabi for two and a half years. Um, I don't know if this is somewhere where you want to go, but at that time, John and I were navigating an acquisition offer for Bogle Brush. And, you know, we're basically talking with them about full-time jobs and hiring our own team and doing all sorts of things. So came back to basically do that. Um, which I can talk more about <laughs> if you're interested. I'm super interested because this is a, like, this is a company in my mind, like startups are startups until they've been in business for like 10 years. Like, so this is still an infancy of a business. How were you, how did you secure a conversation for acquisition? That is amazing. <laughs> yeah, uh, so the summer of 2015, I don't know why I'm like hesitating because um, so you've probably heard of equity crowdfunding mm -hmm. and I think it was that May, May of 2015 where it, it became legal okay. as such. <laughs> and so we were, we were on WeFunder, which is an equity crowdfunding campaign or platform, I should say. And we were having a successful campaign and it was through that process that you know of us promoting our WeFunder campaign that this company caught wind that we were trying to raise money. So at first they contacted us about investing, but it, through the contracts it was quite clear that they were more interested in acquisition. Um, so that's kind of that's kind of how it came about. Oh, gee. Okay. So now it's yourself, your brother. Do you have a full team at that point that you're like having to organize and like have these conversations with or are you guys kind of like leading the conversation like do you bring in an attorney at that point like I just would feel not equipped <laughs> yeah I mean <laughs> it, I mean immediate team was John and me right but of course yeah we brought in the attorneys I mean yes I went to law school but we've used lawyers for a lot of things just I don't first of all I don't want to be on the hook Yep. for that. <laughs> yep. And don't, I don't have like all the expertise that, that those folks do, but so yeah, we brought in lawyers, um, through my husband's network, we brought in a private equity valuations guy mm. to value the company. So we kind of had an idea of what we were talking about. Um, but yeah, other than, that was kind of, that was the team and just kept having these conversations and it was a little bit like out of a movie. We went to the the, their offices to negotiate this investment deal and we were in this like, fireside room having like steak and lobster and all this stuff and at one point the CEO was like well what if we just buy your company and we were like I have just random idea that I've never thought of before but like what do you think <laughs> so John and I thought about it and I wrote about this recently on like my medium page, but we, we basically told them, like I say, we told them our dreams. We told them exactly what we would need in order for that to happen. 
And it was like, we're still like the CEO and chief creative officer. We hire whoever we want. We get to live wherever we want. Um, we, you know, make all the decisions kind of stuff that uh, in honesty, I didn't really think they would say yes to, but they said yes. Long story short, it ended up not being true. And so we turned down the acquisition after, you know, like seven months of negotiating it. So, yes. Holy crap. But it, uh, and how did you feel about that? Like, was it just, was it clear at the end that it was not the right move for the business or was it just like, didn't feel like a good fit for right then? It was very confusing. Yeah. I think we were pretty devastated. We both, you know, sobbed. Right. Right. <laughs> and um, looking back, it, you know, it's, it's like, okay, that's what those emotions are. That's what those signs are, are saying. Like it's not fitting, but it's like the words that they were saying were things we were wanting to hear but the words on the paper were things that weren't and so it was a very confusing situation and for us having never really gone through it before but it, at, after like our second trip to this place we were really like kind of confused about it and started talking to more mentors about what the situation was and started to gain some confidence that even though it was going to be a lot of work, the business definitely still had a chance. Like we didn't need to feel like we had to sell out. Um, we didn't need to feel like we wasted time, but it was just put that behind us and then keep going forward. Well, and I feel like I, a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this and a lot of them are probably at that space, maybe not at the level where they're having like seven month negotiations on acquisition, <laughs> but they're getting presented with collaboration things that they might feel like they have to say yes to because they just want to get their name or their brand out there. But then that often leads to finding collaborations that maybe aren't aligned with what you're doing or partnering with an acquisition that maybe down the road wouldn't make sense for you. But it's, it's hard lessons and it's like figuring out that balance of like, what's best for our company and what feels good like right now. Yeah. And it, the decision really became even bigger than the decision to sell Bogo brush or not. Right. The decision was, you know, what are, what are we trying to do? And our vision for Bogo brush is so much more than a toothbrush. And, you know, it's about sustainability. It's about creating like legacy of what we can do together. And it's about the values that the business Holds. So if we're trying to like build a name and a value for ourselves, you know, it's like, okay, maybe selling the company would get us one place and we could learn some stuff through, excuse me, we could learn some things through that, but is it going to get us any closer to being able to design other sustainable products and, you know, kind of build ourselves a future of of that kind of collaborative sustainable future. And so it, it, the conversation yeah, changed from just selling the company to like, are we selling our future? <laughs> right. Yeah. Because I think what you just talked about is that you, it's so much more than a toothbrush. Like I think one of the things we haven't really tapped into is like, well, first of all, I've been using my toothbrush since I got it in August and it's amazing, but <laughs> there's also, there's a like buy one, get one component. There's community partners. There's just, 
you're, it's a business that is integrating itself into its communities and has this much larger purpose. Like, how did you, how did you decide one, what type of like partnership to do and why was that important for you? I know we talked a little bit about sustainability and things like that, but like, why does that matter within your business? Yeah. So sustainability, um, in a very academic way of talking about it is, uh, you know, there's this Venn diagram of society, like economy and the environment. And to make something that's sustainable, it needs to include all three of those categories. So when we're creating this business, we knew we needed something to insert into the economy, a product we can sell. Okay. Toothbrush check. We knew it needed to consider the environment. All right. That means we have to think about what materials are we using and what manufacturing processes are we using? Okay. And then third society, how is this impacting the people in our communities and what does this product mean to society? And a toothbrush was a really cool thing to start with because yes, oral health, but oral health connects to overall health. Oral health connects to the foods that we're eating. Um, Design affects kind of like the whole way that we, we look at our lives and the products that we use and why we like them. And uh, yeah, so it just kind of like connected on a lot of different levels. And we looked at kind of like what are the social implications of oral health? And, you know, the statistic we talk about a lot is that in the United States, there's 80 million Americans who don't have access to adequate oral care. So what, what is something that we can do to try to bring and connect awareness into and across these ties, across the haves and the haves nots, across the people who know about the environment and people who don't know about the environment. And at that time, you know, Tom's Shoes was really the main one-for-one company. And we thought, let's just start with buy one, give one. It's something folks will recognize, but it's also something we can evolve as the brand grows. Ooh, yeah. Well, and I mean, I think, because I think that is something, it, you're exactly right. It's something we recognize, but I don't think, like, it's a very intentional choice for a small business to do it. Like, it's much easier for companies to maybe throw money at something, but you've made this such, like, an integral part of your business. How do you, because you're also doing manufacturing in the U.S. too. Like, how are you, how are you doing that as a small business? Like, not even, I mean, partially from, like, a financial side, but also, it just seems that much more difficult. Yeah, it's definitely tricky. And the trickiest thing is the financials of it. I mean, first of all, making a physical product, no matter where you're making it, the financials come down to volume. And as a tiny company, we're, you know, ordering 15,000 at a time, not 215,000 at a time. So it's tricky, the relationships, like getting, getting all the people to believe in our vision and actually, you know, our commitment to the environment and our commitment to community helps us get partners because everyone, you know, really wants to be doing good or most people want to be doing good. So by, you know, connecting and supporting us, they're able to also help and support those kinds of those kinds of causes. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard. It's being able to see 
the future, right? It's being able to map that out. It's about being able to clearly explain how getting sales affects volume, affects our ability to manufacture more efficiently and, you know, all of that piece. I mean, those are just two tiny little components of it, but it's, yeah, having to like articulate where you need to get and finding a way to like back yourself into that. Yeah. And that, I mean, because you guys are such a small team, I feel like you, not that you're forced to learn all these things, but you have to become an expert very quickly in a wide array of things. Like what is the part that actually gives you the most energy out of all of the different pieces? The pieces, the thing of, from Bogle Brush that gives me the most energy is the community side and identifying partners, relationships on a local level. So like for instance, here in Detroit, who are folks that are doing things that relate to really any component of Bogo Brush's brand? Oral health, yes. And we have a clinic that we work with here, but you know, urban farming or composting, or excuse me, recycling, um, education and like arts. So like all of these things and trying to really pull these pieces together in some ways kind of coming back to that think tank idea and how do we all work together to identify what, what are the real like struggles here and how can we all use what we have to make that better? So it's like not reinventing wheels. It's just how can we fit into a system that's already trying to do really great stuff? Um, so the community piece for sure, the local side, and then you kind of have it on the global side because again, academically speaking about sustainability, it's local and global. There's you know, like solutions that are very specific to, um, you know, neighborhoods, to cities, to regions, and then there's solutions that work across the globe. So by getting involved in communities on like a grassroots level, learning what's going on around the world in these little communities, maybe then Bogo Brush or do the company that Bogo Brush is under, right? Maybe we can start to see those connections and start to develop more products or whatever needs are needing to be filled. And that got like really huge. So no, well, I, because that's the part that gives you the most energy. Yeah. So it should be the, it should be the biggest thing because that's a place where your brain's like not limiting. You're just like, I wonder what this could look like and let's put all our energy towards getting there. And like, if you weren't putting any boundary on it, like what would that community component look like in a best case scenario? I think, yeah, like if I were able to like blink my eyes and make right. it all here right, right now, it's, it's having kind of, I'll just call them like a Bogo Brush ambassador or a hmm. representative in all sorts of different communities all over the world who are really interested in pulling together these different perspectives and people who are making change and identifying ways that Bogo brush and the evolution of that product collection. Like how can we help? You know, what, what are, what, what does that mean? And then that's like a whole network of these communities that feed together where we're able to do and like celebrate with events in each of those towns and nationally and globally and learn from each other and um, just allow the product development side, which is also really interesting to me, but allow that product development to come up out of that network of community. So yeah, if I could blink my eyes, I'd love to have all sorts of folks who love their communities, like 
connecting Bogo Brush to their community. Um, that, that said, I also know that time evolves what the vision is, you know, actually going to become. So I'm not like, I'm, I'm tied to the overall like goal and tied to this idea. And that hasn't wavered a lot in the sense of connecting local and global, but how it actually gets there. That's, I guess what I'm trying to find out. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's why you're the boss too, is because you're willing, you're willing to think of something that maybe falls a little out of line of what you thought it, you know, quote unquote should be or what mentors. Cause that was the other thing too. Like, as you're growing this business, are you pulling in mentors who have built startups or who are like pillars in this community? Is it a sustainable community? Is that like a proper terminology or not? I think that's a, I mean, first of all, great question. It's one of the things that, you know, internally with Bogo Brush, we talk about, like, how are we going to define this? It's, right. For us, it's part of this question of you know, how do we start um, rebranding buy one give one like it'll still be buy one give one but we need to start like expanding that conversation so like that's like tiny tiny big step one right <laughs> but but yeah yeah I mean sustainable community sure well let's go with that and and like mentors of course like all from all different perspectives and for me mentors have kind of like come and gone some stick around longer it's kind of like what are what are my personal development needs you know what kind of energetic attraction is happening there to stuff that I maybe don't even fully realize and some people are just really great mentors for me or have been you know for six or more years so definitely and how do you create that because I think that's a conversation I have with my friends and women on this podcast and our listeners all the time is this mentorship. Like everybody wants one, but it's people, we find it so difficult because it's not like I want to like go meet you for coffee and be like, you're great. Can you be my mentor and help lead me to career greatness? Like, <laughs> like how, yeah. How did you I, establish that? I, I mean, first of all, I totally agree with you. I mean, I think, I mean, as the years go on, I've been more and more like, eager and wanting to find more like women mentors who've yeah done things in their own careers whatever that is business or otherwise and so I mean I think it's partially yeah like just putting it out there and and if I get the opportunity to, to talk with someone I mean men give great advice as well it's just you know you understand right it's different being being a woman and trying to kind of make my way through especially entrepreneurship and startup world um that way but gosh how do i i guess it's just being willing to accept conversations and introductions from people it's like if there sounds sort of interesting like have the conversation because you know there's a gal who's like a chief marketing officer of a big shoe company who is like a mentor for me and i talked to her about largely like marketing things, but at the same time, it always translates into something else. And so it's like just accepting that person's willingness to connect me and it kind of works both ways. She, you know, I don't take up tons of her time, but 
it kind of goes, you know, she obviously is getting something out of the relationship as well. So that, or like I have a, a mentor, another woman who she's kind of like a philosophic mentor. Like she's studied a lot about meditation and philosophy and she's an architect. So she also has like some of this kind of idea. She understands sustainability a lot. And so she is able to give me advice, like a piece of advice that I pass on that she gave to me was about making decisions and wait till the last optimal moment to make your decision. It doesn't mean procrastination. It just means if you don't have to make a decision until next Thursday, don't try to make the decision today. Just try to get more information, identify what your questions are. And then once you get to that point, instead of having worried for whatever number of days, you've actually gotten more information and are better equipped to make the decision. So like stuff like that. I mean, and that's stuff like we could spend hours Googling and hope we like come upon the right answer, but it's the information coming from a mentor is so much more focused and applicable to exactly what you're doing that it's like, that is an invaluable piece. And oh my gosh. Yeah, that's. That's crazy. Um, and so like, as you're growing this business and now we're going on five, six years, mm-hmm. like where, where are you putting the priorities as you grow? Like what is most important for your growth? Like in the next year? Marketing, I guess <laughs> that's like a huge topic, but yeah, um, we've really not spent much on marketing. Okay. Um, you know, I can trace it back to like, yes, the very beginning of the company, we were trying bamboo. We had a really successful like PR campaign. Then all of that product failed in manufacturing. And so we had to start over. So basically right. then we launched in 2015, had a lot of success. Okay. It must've been May of 2016 that the, I'm getting so torn twisted around. Yeah. May of 2016 that we did the WeFunder campaign. So we, yeah, relaunched the company basically at the end of 2015. And then we did WeFunder and that money was to be kind of like our traction money to prove that spending money on social and digital ads worked. But by getting wrapped up in the acquisition, that money really just went to like business as usual. while we tried to sort that whole situation. So um, we turned down the acquisition, got back on the horse of fundraising, closed our fundraising and had the first capital transfer just a couple months ago. So this year, yeah, I know it's great. It's the the focus I say on marketing. So just getting the story out and especially digital marketing and we kind of call it research because that's what digital marketing is. So learning more about what are the components of our stories that our customers really like, how can we message it while being true to ourselves, but what, how can we get this out there? So, so that, I mean, we're doing all sorts of things as part of that, you know, new product development and trying to build collections that we based like that we think people want and that's based off of feedback that we've gotten already um but just expanding on that how do we really learn what this brand needs to be for people and so i guess that's kind of number one but underneath that we 
always have to keep our eye on, we call them the pillars of our brand. So we always have to keep our eye on design. We always have to keep our eye on doing things that are environmentally friendly as much as we can. And then the social side. So I think growing, growing the community side of the business is pretty much an equal priority as spending on like digital marketing in the sense that that's a part of our story that's not been told as much as it needs to be. And in order for it to be told, we need to do things. We need to get out there and do it. So if we want that to be part of the brand, if we want to test how people are responding, we have to make that part happen. And what is the most challenging part about that? Because I feel like our markets in general are so inundated with products and information and stories. Like how do you carve out a space for yours? I mean, other than me telling you I'm obsessed with it, <laughs> like how do you break yeah. into new spaces? I think it's, like, it's part of that, right? It's part of like you and anyone else who, you know, who meets me or who meets John or meets our product and like understands something beyond the toothbrush. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's that. It's like being able to tap into you and all of those folks who have values like we have and then it's like our job of how do we, how do we harness that? You know, how do we get people to local community events? How do, or how do we go to where people are? You know, how do we become part of that? So it's grassroots by, you know, in a sense, like putting our money where our mouth is and doing stuff and just proving that we care by actually doing and trusting that other people care about that stuff too. Mm -hmm. Um, And I mean, I think that's, I mean, at the end of the day, that's just what it is. It's like, well, what do we find interesting? And we need to put that out there and then rely on experts to help us filter and push that story out to the broader. There's the grassroots level. And then we need to take what we're doing on the grassroots level and project it. And that's why, you know, we've interviewed a lot of different marketing companies and people with different strategies for, you know, how do they do that? What's that feedback loop? So we can constantly be iterating and finding the people who want to hear what we're doing. Yes. <laughs> like, because that's it. Cause they're out there, right? There's so many people who are aligned with exactly what you're saying, who will hear your pillars. And even that Venn diagram you broke down, they're going to hear that and be like, Oh, I believe in all of these things. I just didn't know how to articulate it. And Oh, by the way, now there's a company that, is replicating this in the most beautiful way. Like, yeah. but yeah, no, it's figuring out a way. I, I think another way to do it, I mean, is through collaborations. I mean, yes, on the grassroots level, but then on a, on a larger scale. So, you know, for instance, one of the new products that we're coming out with is a cotton toothbrush. So it's like, just like the one you have that's made from flax, this yeah. one is made from cotton. Um, and finding partners that make sense with cotton. So we've been talking with some folks, like some pretty big, um, you know, brands in the cotton space and, you know, nothing's like signs and sealed, but it's seeing like, can we do something together? Can we do a giving campaign? Can we do a selling campaign that, you know, helps bring our efforts to a larger space, right? These brands want that because, right? We're a startup and we're innovating quickly. And that's something that's hard for them to do in a big company. And so 
trying to find some of those relationships as well, like bigger brands that are doing good things that we can help them um, tell their story more too. Oh my gosh. There are so many things like, yeah, <laughs> you're, first of all, you're very busy and it's, <laughs> it's not just on growing this incredible business. It's growing your own brand too, which is kind of like a falls under this umbrella. Like, could you talk to our listeners? I know we talked about it a little bit before we got started, but you're developing your own website and speaking engagements and materials. Like, can you tell us what you're working on for Heather? Yeah. So for me, I'm working on, I guess, a brand that right now is called This Is Heather. Um, that's how I answer the phone. So I just figured <laughs> that makes sense. That does make sense. A fairly accurate thing. Yeah. <laughs> of, yeah, this is who I am. And um, yeah, building, building kind of a personal website, it ties into all of the things that I'm doing of you know, entrepreneurship as part of that, you know, I have invitations to speak different places. So I'm trying to grow that as a part of promoting Vogel Rush, but promoting my perspective as an entrepreneur in the world. Um, one of the things we haven't touched on yet is how I teach yoga. And that kind of came in <laughs> um, as well after law school, uh, which I kind of like glazed over, I guess. But that's been like a very beneficial part of my life as well. So uh, teaching yoga and kind of expanding what that teaching is. And then you know, another side of what I like to do is performance. So I'm a musician and I like to act and um, so kind of like putting all these different pieces of my personality together on a page and more or less like seeing what happens. Yeah. But also like, I think the thing that, you casually put it together that you're just like melding these pieces, but that is like a very intentional thing you have to create because those things don't like intersect on their own. You have, you have to create a space for like acting and yoga and entrepreneurship, like to come together. And I think, I mean, one of the things you were talking about is earlier was, you know, doing a speaking engagement and maybe there's a yoga component or something. Like, I just feel like there's so much space for that type of activity and, people are hungry for it. Like what type of venue would be your ideal? Like, are you wanting to talk to creatives or corporate or where do you? Good. Yeah. I don't, I don't think I've identified that exactly. I think it really could be all sorts of things. I think for instance, in my teaching style now, I'm, I'm practicing incorporating a little bit more about, you know, my experiences outside of yoga, you know, without, without making the class about me, but trying to say like, Hey, this is my story. And like, if you relate to any of this, maybe you'd like what I have to say in my yoga classes. Um, you know, and like, this is how yoga helps me. So maybe you would find something interesting of what I'm offering. Um, so maybe it's like through yoga people or, I mean, the thing that comes to my mind also is this July I'm doing a 1 million cups talk and that's do you know one million cups i feel like i should but i can't think of what it is right now yeah it's like it's i think the premise is that if the world or if we had coffee with like one million people or i'm not something like that like how much collaboration and creativity could we create and Ooh. so this is like it's through the kaufman foundation i think 
anyway, towns can sign up or groups can sign up to be a 1 million cups thing. There you go. Plug 1 million cups. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, but I'm going to do that. So I go and I talk for like five, 10 minutes about the project I'm working on and how can that particular community and I connect. And so I was invited to speak because of Bogo Brush. So it's like, I, you know, I'll definitely talk about Bogo Brush, but it could be that sort of a thing where in my talk about Bogo Brush, I start, you know, I like have learned, started learning how to play ukulele. Maybe I like play the ukulele a little bit just to like throw a little per part of my personality out there and to just get people curious. And for that one, since it's kind of short, I'm thinking, you know, then I try to connect with a yoga studio in that town. And then also like that day or something, teach a class that kind of intersects on the same theme. Um, that's kind of the, the vision right now. Um, yes. Cause, because I mean, how I think people, once they, we go to so many presentations where there's panelists or speakers and the ones I'm most drawn to, or feel like I take the most from are those who like remind me they're human. And that can be when you walk on the stage, you take 30 seconds to like breathe in and exhale with the crowd. Like someone did that last year at yellow. I thought it was the most beautiful presentation. I loved it. Like, so if you were to come and play the ukulele or even do like a brief yoga sequence, like I'm like, Oh, okay. Now this is like a person I can connect with. And now I can actually hear and receive what she's saying. I just, I'm stoked to cool. see what Thanks you're doing. Thanks for saying that. I'm like really excited about it. And I know like maybe this is kind of part of the direction of this phase, but it's also, yes, Bogo Brush is my career, but thinking about it as, you know, an evolving career is I'm seeing, I'm having curiosity, be, curiosity about being more mobile. Part of it's driven from Bogo Brush and these communities. And I want to travel and like meet people around the country and the world. Um, and how can I still have yoga and how can I still have music and these things a part of more mobile um, lifestyle. And so, yeah, you saying like that, that sounds really interesting is like helpful for me to hear because that's how I feel as well. Um, but it's all a little bit of just, I'm curious. So I'm going to march towards that a little bit. <laughs> and that, oh, I love your use of curious. And I kind of want to like, as we wrap up, I kind of want to like end in that space is like, if people are listening and they're, curious but they feel like they can't act on it because maybe they're in a strict job they're working 80 hours a week and have two kids and like can't haven't found time like how do you push yourself to act on those curiosities um two things come to mind like acting on curiosity so the one thing comes from actually a yoga teacher i've been like taking classes from here in detroit and she's she studied philosophy in India for a while. And one of the things she talks about is how, and this is not the way she says it, but I'm going to like interpret it. Right. Is, you know, in our life, we have really only so much, we have only so much space for the things that we have. So if you're curious about something, you know, identify what in your life does that replace? Mm. And, you know, it, I don't think that, you know, there's that thing about your closet, right? Like if you buy a new piece of clothes, like what oh. piece of clothes do you get rid of? Yeah, yeah. Maybe it's completely that way, but maybe it's even just shifting a mindset, you know, or something like that. That's like a really big, like kind of philosophic idea, but it doesn't mean like, Oh, if I want to, 
you know, become a yoga teacher, that means I have to give up playing volleyball or I mean, whatever, I don't know. But maybe it's not something that's quite that direct, but just thinking about that, right? What, maybe it's the, the time that we spend wondering about that thing we're curious about rather than um, kind of going back to like what, how did John and I start Bogo Brush? Well, what's the thing we knew how to do? And just take a step, right? It's just one step at a time and just focus on that, right? Try to, if anxiety starts to get in the way, just pull it right back to being present and like, what are you doing 100% right now? And yeah, so it's maybe replacing the thinking about with some sort of action step. And that at any point in that process, if you stop being curious about it, then stop pursuing it. Like, no big deal. Like, go be curious about something else. And one of the things also that I'm practicing in life now is, you know, thinking about like financial resources. Okay, I have a limited amount of financial resources. If I'm curious about something and I want to learn more about it, it's okay to invest in that a little bit. It's okay to spend a few hundred dollars to have someone help guide me in the direction of investing in building a website rather than me, again, like sitting and thinking about it too much. So I guess they're kind of the same thing is just like take those action steps and some of it's like financial. Sometimes it might be like actually hiring someone to help you pursue that. And maybe it's just like a mental shift or it's an actual action shift, but yeah, find a way to replace stagnancy with action. Ooh, that might be my like slogan <laughs> for this website or not this website, for this episode, because I think that's where so many of us get stuck. We get comfortable or we have reasons why we can't move. And it's, I think what you do is you don't put barriers on it. You're, it doesn't sound like you put barriers on anything. You don't like blame yourself. If you try something like you go try ukulele and you're not going to be pissed off in six months. If you decide like, Oh, I, this actually isn't what I wanted it to be. Like, you're just very gracious with yourself. Uh, I think yoga's taught me a lot. I think my mom's taught me a lot. I mean, a lot of people have taught me a lot. You know, my husband's taught me a lot. Like, you know, he loves me unconditionally. And that's a pretty important, powerful thing to have people in your life who believe in you because you exist as a human and not because of any of the things you do as a human. Um, but... Yeah, I mean, when I first moved to Abu Dhabi, I was really depressed because I didn't know what I was going to do with my time. And I worked on Bogo Brush constantly until my mom saw that I was really sad. And she's like, I don't want you to like worry so much about how everything fits together in the future and then miss out on exploring and having fun now. And she kind of like reminded me of that. So, yeah. Well, thank you for reminding us all. And maybe it's probably for a lot of women is the first time they're hearing that. So I'm glad that you're now like a vessel for that information for all of us because we, we need those messages. Yeah, exactly. I'm honored to communicate what has come to me through other people and forms. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I'm just so appreciative for you being here. I'm excited to see. It sounds like Bogo Brush has some incredible products coming out. You have some amazing things on the horizon. I'm just, I think we're going to be seeing you pop up in a lot of awesome places. And so we'll put her information on the website. We'll put Bogo Brush's information there so you guys can go check everything out. But 
thank you for spending. It's also very late where Heather is right now. So just <laughs> thank you for spending your evening with me at the end of a long day. I really appreciate it. Oh, such a pleasure. This was so fun. Thank you so much, Kelsey. You're welcome. And thank all of you guys for listening on this week's episode of Permission to Grow.